6 p.m. and you're tuned to your community radio station, KVMR FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. Today is Monday, August 1st. I'm Annabella Funk, and this is your KVMR Evening News. Coming up on the California Report, a look at the connection between public housing and gentrification. A community in Los Angeles attempts to do public housing differently. In National Native News, a disparaging pamphlet resurfaced on the Pine Ridge Reservation, prompting the Tribal Council to regulate church ministries on the reservation. In local news, we talked to the owners of a new coffee shop in downtown Nevada City called the Communal Cafe. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. We're going to devote this show to housing, in particular public housing. Even in a state where millions struggle to find and keep an affordable place to live, building more public housing hasn't been a popular solution. That's because over the decades, it's become synonymous with segregation of blacks and Latinos, warehousing of the poor, and terrible living conditions. But in LA's Watts neighborhood, one big public housing complex called Jordan Downs is in the midst of a decades-long $1 billion transformation. When done, it will more than double the number of people living there. It's also supposed to show public housing's potential if done right. How dramatic are the changes happening at Jordan Downs for the people who call it home? Let Rick Chilton, a third-generation Jordan Downs resident, tell you. I met him one morning as we watched workers build new apartments in the middle of the sprawling housing complex. So what do you think of all this? This right here, we would never think this right here would happen. I would never think in my wildest dream that they would be tearing down the projects. What's being torn down in slow stages is the old Jordan Downs, row after row of decaying barrack-style housing units dating back to the 1940s. Bars are over every single window, and big no-trespassing signs are on every building. What's replacing this is the new Jordan Downs, townhouse-style apartment buildings painted in warm earth tones with small patios on the first floor and balconies on the floors above. None of the windows have bars over them. Honestly, the new Jordan Downs looks and feels like a new suburban apartment complex and not public housing in Watts. So the building that I used to live in was right here, but it's demolished now. That's Shankita Perkins, a lifelong Jordan Downs resident. She was among the first people to move into the first phase of Jordan Downs redevelopment. Oh, yes. I remember like yesterday. Um, It was really exciting. Like I couldn't even sleep at night because I was just like, it was just awesome. Like I couldn't sleep. I kept walking around the house. I was eager to decorate. So, yeah, it was really exciting. But the changes at Jordan Downs go way beyond new apartments. On reclaimed industrial land right next to the housing project, there's a new 115,000-square-foot shopping center called Freedom Plaza. In a part of L.A. that's often been described as a retail desert, here, Jordan Downs residents and the wider community can find a supermarket, bank, clothing stores, restaurants, and the only Starbucks in Watts. Many who work in the businesses live at Jordan Downs. Watts resident Sherry Edison says the shop shopping center is something people have wanted here for decades. It's closer to me, you know, where I live, instead of having to go out the area. I'm glad they brought it to the area, like the Nike store. I like Nike. And the supermarket, too? Oh, excellent. And the restaurants? Oh, yes. I love the Habit Grill. Uh, The burgers are the bomb. (laughs) 
Now, other public housing projects have been redeveloped in the U.S., most notably in Chicago, but those projects soon became political powder kegs. Residents complained they had little say in planning what would come next, and housing activists argued public housing redevelopment was a euphemism for pushing poor people of color out of neighborhoods to make way for gentrification. Doug Guthrie, the CEO of L.A.'s Housing Authority, says when it comes to the redevelopment of Jordan Downs, everything has been done to keep residents informed and part of the process. Got to get the community buy-in to all this. I mean, you absolutely have to to have a, a successful outcome in this. And so we spent years at Jordan Downs engaging the community, and uh, we didn't make any promises we felt we couldn't, we couldn't keep. One key promise at Jordan Downs is a right of return, guaranteeing that everyone who lived there before redevelopment can come back after it's done if they want to. So there hasn't been any forced displacement at all so far. We don't anticipate any. But promising residents they could return to Jordan Downs doesn't mean there weren't plans to change the kinds of people living there. The redevelopment project is adding hundreds of new units to Jordan Downs on purchased land. It was hoped the new units would be rented out at or near full market rates, and some newcomers might even buy units. But that idea has been largely shelved for now, says Marco Ramirez. He's with Bridge Housing, one of the nonprofit developers of Jordan Downs. We can't see ourselves justifying market rate units in this community when there are so many people struggling to make rents. And so market rate units or market rate rents don't make sense right now. And there have been other changes and complications in Jordan Downs' transformation. The adjacent properties that were purchased to build the shopping center and additional housing are on former industrial sites. There are lingering concerns about toxic pollution in the soil, despite cleanup efforts. Then there's the speed of redevelopment. There have been big delays getting federal, state, and private financing for the project, which have set back construction deadlines. Five years after building started, more than half of Jordan Downs' residents still live in the old buildings. Again, here's Marco Ramirez. To date, we have um, between our first and second phase, we have about 300 original Jordan residents living in the new apartments. So 300 about, and how many more to go? We have about 400. 400 more to go, so you're less than halfway through. Yeah, I'd say we're like 40-ish percent uh, through the redevelopment. Ramirez says some Jordan Downs residents might have to wait 10 years or more before their new buildings are ready as construction deadlines get pushed back. With many of her friends and neighbors still living in old Jordan Downs housing, resident Shankita Perkins says she feels fortunate. I feel like I got lucky because I was in the right spot at the right time. Looking ahead, there are plans to redevelop two other smaller public housing projects in Los Angeles. But housing officials acknowledge there are no plans to do something on the same scale as Jordan Downs for L.A.'s other large public housing projects. Planning, building, and financing the projects, they say, are just too difficult. Support for the California Report comes from Personal Capital, providing people with financial tools like the Retirement Planner to help them achieve their financial goals. PersonalCapital.com. Stanford Healthcare, alerting listeners to the critical blood shortage in the area. Now is the time to donate blood and make a difference. StanfordBloodCenter.org. 
and Eric and Wendy Schmidt through the Schmidt Family Foundation, working together to create a just world where all people have access to renewable energy, clean air and water, and healthy food, on the web at theschmidt.org. And that's this edition of the California Report from Monday, August 1st. We are a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm your host, Saul Gonzalez. Have a great day. A federal judge has dismissed libel lawsuits against media companies filed by a former Kentucky Catholic school student who was at the center of criticism for an encounter at the Lincoln Memorial in 2019 with a Native American elder. Art Hughes has a story. With National Native News, I'm Art Hughes in for Antonio Gonzalez. A disparaging pamphlet that resurfaced on the Pine Ridge Reservation prompted a series of actions by the Oglala Sioux Tribal Council to regulate church ministries. The Tribal Council initially voted to suspend all Christian missionary work, only to rescind that action a day later, instead requiring all outside religious organizations to register with the tribe. The offending flyer is a duplicate of one distributed years ago that uses the Lakota word for the creator, calling it a demon idol, among other things. It instead claims Jesus is the one true God. Earlier in the month, the tribe ousted Matthew Monfort from the Jesus is King missionary for distributing disparaging pamphlets. They then ordered an investigation into the non-denominational Christian Dream Center, which some members claimed was associated with Monfort. During the emergency meeting, Oglala citizen Bernice Redbear addressed representatives of the Dream Center, asking how they intend to reach out to Pine Ridge residents with such harmful language. If you wanted to save me, how would you do it? What kind of a message would you give me instead of saying all these things that the God that I pray to is an idol, is a demon idol? The founder of the Dream Center denies any connection with Monfort or the offending pamphlets. Lori McAfee says her organization is the victim of false rumors and innuendo. But you can say anything to anybody. You can post anything and people believe it. All I know is God sent us here to love the people. And we were not just, we didn't just come. And I see a lot of people come. But I've been here 21 years, and now all of a sudden, this is happening? The discussion over the flyers sparked references to the abuses by Catholic priests and other religious leaders at boarding schools designed to eradicate Native culture and language. Some members also talked about how Pope Francis's visit to Canada to apologize for abuses in that country opened wounds for boarding school survivors. Pine Ridge has a long history of concerns about Christian missionaries exploiting the reservation to raise money. A federal judge has dismissed libel lawsuits against media companies filed by a former Kentucky Catholic school student who was the center of criticism stemming from a 2019 encounter at the Lincoln Memorial. Nick Sandman was among students wearing Make America Great hats at a rally in the U.S. Capitol, a video of him standing face-to-face with Nathan Phillips, who was drumming and singing, went viral. Some of the students mocked Phillips' singing. Many viewers interpreted Sandman's facial expression as a sign of disrespect. Sandman sued several news outlets, including the New York Times and Rolling Stone magazine. The suit centered on repeating Phillips' claim that Sandman was blocking him from moving past. The judge said the claims are objectively unverifiable and thus unactionable claims. An attorney for Sandman tells the Lexington Herald-Leader they are planning on appealing the decision. The Duwamish tribe is pushing for representation on Seattle's inaugural Indigenous Advisory Council. Fox 13 Seattle quotes tribal chairwoman Cecile Hansen as saying that denying the Duwamish a seat 
contradicts the council's legitimacy and intention to be inclusive and reparative. She notes the irony of excluding the voice of the tribe, whose notable chief from the mid-1800s is the city's namesake. The Duwamish is not federally recognized. The council was established last year to provide input on issues related to the city's indigenous populations. Five of the panel's nine members are assigned by the city council. The remaining four are appointed by the mayor. The Navajo Nation is headed into its tribal primary election Tuesday with at least 15 candidates for president. One of them is incumbent President Jonathan Nez, who faces challengers, including the tribe's former vice president, Frank Dayish, and former Attorney General Ethel Branch. The top two vote-getters go on to the November general election. With National Native News, I'm Art Hughes. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. This show is supported by the return of FX's Reservation Dogs. This season of the original comedy continues to follow the favorite gang of indigenous teens in rural Oklahoma. FX's Reservation Dogs now streaming only on Hulu. The Indian Arts and Crafts Board promotes Indian artists of federally recognized tribes through its online source directory. Information on this no-charge opportunity available at doi.gov IACB, who support this program. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. Now we'll take a look at local news and weather. In local news, a new coffee shop known as the Commutal Cafe has opened up in downtown Nevada City. I'm Thalia Ferris. I'm one of the owners, and I we have some really fun drinks. We've got the Earth Matcha, which has been really popular, which is a matcha mixed with your milk of choice on ice and blue pea butterfly tea, and it's a really beautiful blue and green that looks like the earth. And we have a butterfly lemonade that's also got the blue pea butterfly tea in it. And it's when it's mixed with the lemonade, it turns purple and it's really pretty. But also a cold foam, which is like a foamy, creamy, cold milk that you can add to like a cold brew and turn it into like a latte vibe. And then also we're doing all of our organic cold pressed juices. Well, I think the reason why we came up with the name was because we just love the idea of bringing in the whole community and um, each different person that we've met that is excited about the space, we've tried to incorporate them. So we have wonderful options of flowers from uh, a vendor in the community. Our tables are made from a local wood source. Artist that's in here locally right now is Adam Shaw. Can you pretend to drink your drink again so I can get that sound? The sound? Yes. Uh, my name's Zoe. I grew up in this area. I'm just back visiting family. And I really like this. I think it's a great space. It's nice to have another cafe in town because so many of our local cafes kind of closed down over the pandemic. So it's good to have the life back in the center of the town. And what are you drinking? I'm drinking an iced Americano. <laughs> it's good. It's it's yummy. Oh, you literally just right here. Okay. Okay. Sweet. Sweet. I'm, I'm Ella Piper. Um, I'm born and raised in Nevada County. My parents moved here in the 90s. Um, 
and I'm just personally really excited to have a cafe where everyone can come and hang out and get to know each other and enjoy the community and all the beautiful things it offers. I'm a barista. Um, I really love making drinks, love making people's days. Turning now to your local weather and the AQI Air Quality Index. For those in Grass Valley in Nevada City, tonight is mostly cloudy with a low of 66. Tuesday is sunny with a high near 92. The AQI in Grass Valley in Nevada City is good with an AQI of 0. In Truckee and Lake Tahoe, tonight there's a 20% chance of showers and thunderstorms before 11 p.m. Tuesday, we have a slight chance of showers between 8 a.m. and 11 a.m. with a high near 78. AQI in Truckee is good at 20. In Sacramento and Woodland, tonight is partly cloudy with a low around 68. Tuesday will be cloudy and hot with a high near 98. The AQI in Sacramento is good at an AQI of 22. You're listening to the Evening News on KVMR. Fighting fires requires water. KVMR science correspondent Al Stoller gets the inside scoop from Jason Withrop, a forest fire management officer. More from Al Stoller. You want to put water on the fire. Where do you put the water? Right on the base of the flames. That's the most effective. It both cools the fire and smothers it at the same time. How much water can an engine carry? Our typical engines in California carry in between 500 and 750 gallons. How long does that last? Generally, if you're using an inch and a half hose and 60 gallons per minute at the nozzle on the fire's edge, it will last you about 25 minutes. Now, you can also carry water in a tender. How does that work? A water tender basically is just a large tank on a big truck chassis. Trucks with tanks. It also has a pump, but the pump isn't as efficient as the ones on our fire engine. So really they're to shuttle water from a water source to the fire engines. How much hose does an engine carry? Between three and five miles of hose on a fire engine. Hose is paid out by the crew. How do they carry hose? It's usually on their back, either inside of a, a backpack or the hose itself made into a backpack. As they're walking up the fire's edge, the hose is flaking out behind them, and then they get the nozzle ready and then charge that line, meaning send water from the pump through it. How much pressure is that water under? The common operating pressure is 150 pounds per square inch at the pump, which will give us 60 PSI at the nozzle. Can there be so much pressure on a hose that it's hard to handle? Yes, you could overpressurize it, which would create problems for the nozzle person. It could knock them down or too much pressure could burst the hose lines. It takes pressure to push water uphill. How does the slope limit how much hose you can pay out? The steeper the slope, the harder it is to pump water up that. And it's also when you have a hose line that's full of water, if it's really steep, gravity takes effect and it wants to pull itself downhill. So the steeper the slopes, the more limited we are in pumping water uphill. If the engine or the tender has to refill its tank, how do you do that? We put draft lines in the water source, whether it's a creek or a pond or a lake, and draws water into the tank through the pump. Do you have to ask permission of a homeowner to pull water out of their pool? 
If a homeowner is around, we will ask. If they're not, it's an emergency. And yes, we will take water because it's a matter of people's lives and property. Air attack. How much water can a helicopter carry? There's different sizes of helicopters, type 1 being the largest. Some of the largest type 1 helicopters can carry 3,000 gallons of water. The smallest helicopters that have a bucket underneath them are carrying about 50 gallons of water. How does a helicopter refill its bucket? They just hover over whatever the water source is and drop the bucket to the surface of the water. It will submerge itself. Fixed-wing aircraft. Type 1 air tankers generally carry 3,000 gallons of retardant. CAL FIRE's S2 tankers carry 1,000 gallons of retardant. Very large air tankers, those are the DC-10s and used to be the 747. They're carrying 11,000 gallons of retardant. You've got to be careful with that retardant, like keeping it out of the streams. Yeah, so the policies are to keep retardant 300 feet away from any waterway or water source. The smaller fixed-wing aircraft, if they're carrying water and they need to refill the tank, how do they do that? Those are specific types of airplanes. They're called scoopers. They will land on the water and still carry forward momentum. There's two doors that drop down on the, the belly of that aircraft, and the force of them moving forward pushes water up into their tanks, and then they take off and go back to the fire. Can you describe an engine? The vast majority of the fire engines we have here in California are two-wheel drive. Some are four-wheel drive. If they're two-wheel drive, that must really limit what sort of terrain they can get into. To a smaller degree than you would think, with all the weight on them, you can actually get quite a few places with a two-wheel drive fire engine. You can get yourself in trouble having a four-wheel drive engine and get into a situation that may not be easy to get out of. Does it make sense to sprinkle the fuel so it won't catch in the first place? It does. If you have enough lead time right now in Yosemite, they used sprinkler systems around some of the large redwood groves to keep the fuel moisture up and the humidity up so that fire really doesn't want to burn there in the first place. What is it that actually puts out the fire? Water on it helps to put it out mostly, and then what really puts out the fire is the firefighters working with that water and the soil, turning it over to extinguish it completely. Jason, it's been good talking with you. Thank you very much. You as well, Al. Thank you. I've been speaking with Jason Withrop, Forest Fire Management Officer, Tahoe National Forest. For KVMR, I'm Al Stoller. that's our newscast for this Monday, August 1st. Head over to kvmr.org and subscribe to KVMR Podcasts. Support from KVMR comes from its generous listeners and from the Onyx Theater, an independent art house theater on Argo Way in Nevada City, showing films daily, offering velvet theater seats, organic popcorn, local eats, beer and wine for patrons 21 and older. TheOnyxTheater.com Tonight's evening news is produced by KVMR News Director Claudio Mendoza. Thanks for tuning in to KVMR-FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. I'm Annabella Funk, your evening news anchor for KVMR, signing off. (laughs) 